You are listening to the Bridge Community Church Podcast out of Warrington, Virginia. Our church exists to connect you to God, others, and the marketplace. For more information, you can visit us online at bridge4life.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you are blessed by today's message. We are continuing on in the series called Piercing the Darkness based on the book of Romans. And uh, this is the 10th message that I have preached on this series, but there have been two others. Uh, Pastor Austin did a a message for me. And then last week, I so appreciate Pastor Ben speaking for me as well. So this is actually the 12th message on this series. Trust me, there's a lot of stuff that we're trying to get in on the book of Romans because it's rich. There's a lot of good things in. Today, I'm going to speak on something that I'm going to tell you that you probably need to be a little more attentive than you normally are. So why don't you turn the uh, person on your left and right and say, Pastor says, really pay close attention today. (laughs) And I will tell you why, because I'm not trying to speak about something just because it's a hot topic. I'm staying in the book of Romans, but it is a topic inside the book of Romans, and it's a very predominant topic, and it has to do with the Jewish people. And so I think many of you are aware of everything that is occurring, not just internationally, but even some of the things and the expressions that we see that some people are taking, which is very disheartening. But I want to share, I, I, I can't share on every text in the, in the Bible that addresses this, but we're going to stick in the book of Romans. And what's interesting is, is we're writing, uh, we're reading something that was written by a converted Jew. So it's a pretty interesting, sometimes we have to remind ourselves, okay, of who's doing the writing and what they are saying. And so we're going to go to the book of Romans and we're going to go to chapter three and I'm going to ask everybody to stand for the reading of their word. And we're just going to read eight verses today, but you will see These eight verses have a lot to say. In fact, it really sets it up quite well. So let's begin, let's read together. What advantage then is there in being a Jew or what value is there in circumcision? Much in every way. First of all, the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. What if some were unfaithful? Will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. Let God be true and every human being a liar. As it is written, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. But if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? I am using a human argument. Certainly not. If that were so, how could God judge the world? Someone might argue, if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory, why am I still condemned as a sinner? Why not say, as some slanderously claim that we say, let us do evil that good may result? Their condemnation is just. Now, Holy Spirit, I pray as we study the word today that it does more than just fill the academic part of our brain. I pray that it really touches the motives and the values of our heart. And I pray that we can see the overall plan, God, that you have. 
that you are working a masterpiece and we are all a part of it. And I pray that understanding, that love, mercy, grace prevails in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. 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 The Lord bless you. You can be seated. So as I said, we're going to be looking at this topic. It's interesting, the first verse, what advantage is there in being a Jew? What a great way to start it off, right? And so I recognize that there are probably new folks with us today, and you're thinking, wow, is this typically something the pastor does? No, it's I stick with what the text is, but because of the, of the events that we see unfolding, I think this is of even greater interest. But I want you to understand that one of the difficulties I have today is I'm going to try to preach a subject that's literally the size of a whale, and I've got to make it fit on your plate. And that's hard because... What I want you to see is this. When we go to the book of Romans, I want you to see all the passages that Paul writes specifically related to the Jews and what they believe and practice and such. And there's a lot. I mean, just if I just preached about all the text in the book of Romans, we'd be here a long time. I can do that. It's you can't. (laughs) And everybody said, thank you, pastor. That was way too (laughs) unanimous. But you see in chapter two, he he talks about the Jews and the law. Chapter four, he talks about Abraham being justified by faith. In chapter seven, we read about the law, the sin, and Christ. You see in chapter nine, Paul's anguish over Israel. In chapter nine, again, God's sovereign choice. Again, in chapter nine, God's, or uh, he's concerned about Israel's unbelief. In chapter 11, the remnant of Israel. Then he talks about the Gentiles, or engrafted branches. And then you read again later in chapter 11, all Israel will be saved. And that, I, I, I didn't even mention there just the passage that we just read, that I just, we just read in chapter three. So you can see it's a massive subject subject just in the book of Romans. If I decided to go, hey, let's look at all the text, uh, even in the Old Testament, we would be here a long time. I could turn that into a series for a couple months. So what I want to do is I'm just going to hang with what we read today. And I will touch on a few other scriptures. And I can tell you this is probably not going to go the direction that you're thinking it is. Okay, you're probably thinking pastor's prepared uh, on what we're seeing and he's gonna speak directly to those events. Here's what I've learned. If you speak of what the Bible has to say, it has a way of just addressing everything. And so one of the things that I wanna recognize is, again, you have folks who are new to Christianity and I wanna share something because you see these international things and you're thinking, how did we get here? What's this all about? Why can't, there, why can't they get things settled? Why are they so vehemently opposed to each other? And what I want you to recognize is, there's a chart up here, this kind of gives the historical record. How did, where did we all come from and how did we get here? First of all, you go all the way back to Abraham, and Abraham and Sarah were unable to have a child, so Abraham, uh, or Sarah encouraged uh, Abraham to have relations with her handmaiden, and her name was Hagar. And so they did, and she got pregnant. She had a a son called Ishmael. Well, then Sarah gets pregnant. And she had a son, and we call him Isaac. And so from those two, we see prophetically, and I don't have time to go on all the scriptures, but great nations would come out of each of those. And so the Ishmael 
uh, portion, that's where the Arab people come from. And if 500 years after Christ, that's important, 500 years after Christ, Muhammad was born and Muhammad created what they call Islam. Meanwhile, Isaac was the was one it was through him that the Jewish people were established, and they established Judaism. One of the prophecies was that the Messiah would come from the Jewish people. He wasn't coming exclusively for the Jewish people, he was coming for mankind, but he was going to come through that nationality. And he did, except the Jews rejected the Messiah. And so Jesus. That's us, followers of the Messiah, Christianity. And so that's how we end up with, the, with uh, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. Now, if you'll look at this, you'll see where some of the teaching, how they take this and distort it, and they say all religions lead to the same God. I am not saying that I agree with that at all. Do you hear me? I do not agree with that at all. Okay. But you look at this and somebody who is, you know, a non-believer, they can go, well, it looks like to me it all points to the same God. And you, what you, you say, you obviously haven't researched these religions because they don't have anything in common. Jesus said this, no one goes to the Father except through him. Well, if you buy all religions lead to the same God, you just said he's a liar. Well, then he can't be who he is, which means we're all deceived. Jesus also said he was the way. He didn't say he was a way. He said, I am the way, what else? The truth, the life. Notice, notice the verbiage there. The way, the truth, the life. Okay? So, and there's a lot of other contradictions between these various religions and faith. And so, this is where we have to be careful as Christians. There's a lot of things that sometimes uh, get preached that if you're not careful, it has more to do with drawing you into the current event rather than drawing you to a biblical interpretation. Please tell me you see that. And so we're gonna stick. What does the Bible say? In fact, it's almost like Paul was writing about today because he started off with the phrase, what advantage is there in being a Jew? Fair question. But what I want you to recognize is, is the challenge that is going on today. But before we get to that challenge, I want you to look at Galatians chapter three, verses seven through nine. Now, this is one of the few times I'm gonna go outside the book of Romans because it gives great insight. Galatians three, understand then, that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Whoa, did you read that? This is not genetics anymore. It's based on faith. Those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. How many of you are a Gentile? Okay, if you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. So how many are Gentiles? All right, well, you've got a few more hands. You're like, I looked at my birth certificate, never said anything about a Gentile. <laughs> okay, if you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile, okay? And announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So, hey, everybody read that last sentence. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Wow. Those who rely on faith, 
or blessed along with Abraham. I, 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 I thought there was just, there was this lineage of blessing over here and then, you know, then there was the rest of us. And God says, no, you've been adopted. Oh, how many know when you get adopted, it changes the momentum of your life? Right, regardless of what your heritage is up to that point, being adopted means you also get the momentum of the new family who adopted you. Now, Galatians chapter three, verses 26 through 29. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Everybody read the last sentence. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the... Wow. So everything that I read about Abraham, if I've accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior, now apply to me. Wow. How many call that a game changer? Yeah. See, we always thought it was them and us. And I know that nationality-wise, you can make that distinction. There's a them and there's, I get it, okay? But as Christians, as followers of Christ, we have to understand there's no them and us inside of Christianity. I've heard, you've heard me say it before. All the ground around the cross is now level. Nobody stands any taller. Nobody stands any less. Now, I'm gonna take a pause here and say, say something. I'm aware of the sensitivity of this matter that I'm, I'm sharing on today because we have a lot of those various nationalities represented in our church. We have Jewish people here or here. We have Arab people who attend and they've all accepted Jesus. So in some ways, this church is representative of what needs to happen. People have to have a change of heart. That will fix the politics. But you can change your politics, but that doesn't change your heart. What has to happen is a change of heart. And we have to show Arabs, Jews, Gentiles, it doesn't, Palestinians, it doesn't matter. We have to show them they all need Jesus. They all need a recasting of the momentum of their life. That some of the things that they have inherited, they need to stop passing on and they need to accept a new heritage. And yes, they'll go, well, I'm already a descendant of Abraham. Yes, but not of his blessing unless you receive it by faith through Jesus Christ. And you and I are not less because we don't have the physical lineage because we've been adopted. So actually, we're just asking them to join the family. Stop acting like a renegade. All right, I can tell that went well. So, here's a couple things. I mean, for some reason, okay, there we go. From a purely historical perspective, the Jews have been the most continuously and harshly disadvantaged people of all time. That's not necessarily an opinion. I can prove it. Because there are civilizations, there are nationalities who have had far less catastrophic events happen to them and they have ceased to exist. They don't, their, their cities, their nations, their nationality is completely gone. 
And for some reason, the Jewish people have always been able to maintain an identity, to maintain a presence. And part of that was, historically, uh, thousands of years ago, it was because the Messiah was going to be coming through the land. So if you destroy the people that God said he was gonna send the Messiah through, you destroy the people, you subvert God's plan to send his Messiah, his son. But on the flip side of that, God also said that there would be a part of Israel in the prophecy. You can read it all in, in Revelation. And so if you can eliminate them, then you eliminate God's prophecy, which makes God a false God. Hmm. There's a reason they're focused on, spiritually, by darkness. But let me share with you, some of you may not know this. I've got a two-page thing I'm gonna read you on Israel's history. Most of you have probably never heard it, but I can tell you any Jew who really is, is into their faith, they know this and you will understand why there's a defensiveness towards other people. Let me read it to you. Here's their history. They began as slaves in Egypt for 400 years. They wandered then in the desert after that for 40 years and they lost an entire generation in that wilderness. They had to fight for every inch of the land that God had promised and had continued to, and had to, continue to protect the, what they gained. After, 700, after several hundred years, a civil war divided the nation. The northern kingdom was almost decimated by Assyria. The remnant was taken into captivity to that country. Later, the southern kingdom was conquered and exiled in Babylon for 70 years, after which some were allowed to return to Palestine. Soon after rebuilding their homeland, they were conquered by Greece, by Antiochus Epiphanes, he reveled in desecrating their temple, corrupting their sacrifices, and he slaughtered their priests. Then under the Roman rule, tens of thousands of Jewish rebels were publicly crucified. Then under Herod the Great, scores of male Jewish babies were slaughtered because of his insane jealousy that there was going to be a baby Christ. In 70 AD, the Roman general Titus carried out Caesar's orders to utterly destroy Jerusalem, its temple, and most of its citizens. Over a million Jews of all ages were massacred. Some 100,000 who survived were sold into slavery or sent to Rome to die in the gladiator games. Let me tell you something that you may not know. What happened to the wealth of that temple when, uh, when it was destroyed in 70 AD? Where did that wealth, what did Rome do with the wealth that it acquired when it destroyed the temple? They took it back to Rome and they built the Colosseum. How many know that will now change your perspective on how you see the Colosseum? The Roman Colosseum was built with the, with the, with the monies and the blood that came from the Jewish people during the massacre of 70 AD. A million Jews were slaughtered. I've been to that Colosseum. When you walk that Colosseum, you reflect on it totally different than everybody else walking around does. It's no wonder that Rome built something that represented death and destruction. Two years previous to that, Gentiles in Caesarea killed 20,000 Jews, sold many of them into slavery. During the same period, the inhabitants of Damascus cut the throats of 10,000 Jews in a single day. 
In 115 AD, the Jews of Cyrene, Egypt, Cyprus, and Mesopotamia rebelled against Rome. As a result, Emperor Hadrian destroyed 985 towns in Palestine and killed at least 600,000 Jewish men. Thousands more were uh, perished from starvation and disease. So many Jews were sold into slavery that the price of an able-bodied man dropped to the price of a horse. In 380 AD, Emperor Theodosius I formulated a legal code that declared Jews to be an inferior race of human beings. It was a demonic idea that now permeates most of Europe and, and for over a thousand years, and it still permeates much of our world today. If you wanted to know who gets the credit for that one, it was Emperor Theodosius. It still carries today. For some two centuries, the Jews were oppressed by the Byzantine branch of the Roman Empire. Emperor Heraclitus banished them from Jerusalem in 628 AD and later tried to exterminate them. Leo the Assyrian gave them the choice of converting to Christianity or being banished from the realm. When the first crusade was launched in, to, in, one, or in uh, 1096 to recapture the Holy Land from the Ottoman Turks, the crusaders slaughtered thousands of Jews on their way to Palestine, trampling many to death under their horses' hooves. This uh, carnage was committed in the name of Christianity. Let me pause. You say, well, that's not helpful. They know this history. What they need to hear from us is that was not Christianity. that we do not accept that as being an expression of Christianity. We deny that that was even authentic and it was, it was a true event, but we, we do not accept that that is a part of Christianity. See, they, they wanna know, why don't you say that that was wrong? Well, here, I know for a fact that this goes out. It wasn't too long ago, somebody in the church was in Syria and they're watching this broadcast in Syria. So I'll say it out loud. That was wrong. It was wrong. And that was not an expression of Christianity. That is never an expression of Christianity. I don't know what their teaching was, and their, but it was distorted. But it was not who we claim to be. In 1054, notice I'm only at 1054. King Louis IX banished all the Jews from France. When, when uh, many returned later to that country, Philip the Fair expelled 100,000 of them again in 1306. In 1492, the Jews were expelled from Spain, even as Columbus began his first voyage across the Atlantic. Four years later, they were expelled from Portugal as well. Soon, most of the Western Europe was closed to them except for a few areas in northern Italy, Germany, Poland. Although the French Revolution emancipated many Jews, vicious anti-Semitism continued to dominate most of Europe and parts of Russia. Thousands of Jews were massacred in Ukraine in 1818. In 1894, because of growing anti-Semitism in the French army, a Jewish officer named Dreyfus was falsely accused of treason. That charge was used as an excuse to purge the military of all Jews of high rank. In 
When a number of influential Jews began to dream of reestablishing a homeland in Palestine, the Zionist movement was born. Its first Congress being convened in Basel, Switzerland in 1897. By 1914, some 90,000 Jews had settled in Palestine. And then in the early 1940s, the Nazis exterminated at least 6 million Jews for racial reasons, not religious. Wow. How have they survived all that? I can tell you why. Because God says they're a part of the end time prophecy. And there's a demonic force that wants to take that out because if they don't exist, then God's prophecies are false. And so what you have is this, man rebelling and God saying, you can rebel all you want, but I'm not changing my plans. So this is a battle between God's plans and man's will. A man who says we can beat God. And God says, no, you can't beat me and you won't beat me. I have prophecies on how this is all gonna wrap up. And so right now, the thing is, the door is open for, what does the Bible tell us? Today is the day of salvation, right? Today. Okay, every, listen, no matter where you fall on the spectrum of race, whether you're an Arab, whether you're a Jew, whether you're, I don't know, let's just say Gentile, how's that? There's hope for all of us, and I'm gonna show you this. So what I want you to see is this. The apostle Paul, who was a Jew himself, points out that although they are God's chosen and blessed people, they have no guaranteed spiritual salvation because of their nationality. Wow. Paul came to realize it's an honor to be in a nationality that God has chosen to send his son through but that does not guarantee our salvation. We are being used by God in a mighty way, but we're not saved because God chose us that way. Because even John the Baptist was preaching this message. If you go into the gospel of Matthew, he says this. He tells them, don't tell me you have father Abraham. The ax is at the root of the tree. What he was telling them was this, you must repent and be baptized. You can no longer say that we are descendants of Abraham, so therefore we are secure. God doesn't save on nationality anymore. He saves on faith. And it says that people were being saved and being baptized, but he also had people who resisted that. Why? Because that was the Jews in their day, that was the ace that they were playing you need to be baptized, but I don't because I was born right. And John the Baptist said no. And then Jesus comes along and he got baptized. How many know that's a, definitely a deal closer? Yeah, uh-uh. Nationality no longer guarantees salvation. So we're gonna look at three things based on this chapter that we read today. So number one, read this out loud. The gospel, the gospel clarifies God's purpose for the Jewish people. He says, what advantage then is there in being a Jew of what value is there in circumcision? Notice his answer, much in every way. See the exclamation point? He says, look, there's a lot of good things here. And he says, first of all, the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. They were the ones that God said, let me send my message through them. How ironic that the message that they have given 
has been accepted by the Gentiles, but they reject the message themselves that they were the recipients of. And yet the Gentiles are receiving. Wow. You see, we, we do have an indebtedness to them because that's who God chose to share his word through. But you read on in Romans chapter nine, verses four and five, Paul needed about six more chapters to finish answering that question. <laughs> Somehow, so, so I so appreciate uh, Paul, because it looked like he was not afraid to chase a rabbit trail and then six chapters later, get back to it. And here we are. He describes what the advantage of being a Jew is. Theirs is the adoption to sonship. Theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship and the promises. Theirs are the, they, theirs are the patri patriarchs and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised, amen. He says, let me tell you all the advantages. This is it. They got to be the recipients to be able to let the world know, here's how you find God and connect to him. This is how you can know him. Then you read in Romans chapter two, verses 28 and 29. This, this is, look at this. A person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor a circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one, what does it say? Inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. If you're a follower of Christ, can I say, welcome to the family, dude? Wow. You see, we make it a big deal. Man, I wish, wish I could do that Ancestry.com and find out that I come from some great line. And then you find out half your heritage maybe had been convicted. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, man, I wish I'd have never known that, you know. Or you, you do the research and you're finally like, wow, I can only go like 100 years back because we were so common and ordinary. They didn't even keep records on my family. You know, you're just kind of like, wow, I just, I wish, I wish I had the heritage that, you know, was just this, wow, you know. We're all, and God says, hey, that's fine. I'll adopt you and give you mine. Can I tell you whether you know where you've come from or not? whether you're adopted or not, whether you know the family lineage from who you are. I, I understand those things that work in us. I wish I knew the momentum of life that was handed to me. I wish I knew the backdrop of that. Maybe I get, I get the curiosity. I'm not saying that it's even wrong to go after and find that stuff. But in the end, do you understand that God has served you up one of the most amazing heritages that you could ever ask to be a part of? And he says... Even if, it's, even if you think your heritage is one gigantic losing moment, man, I got one that can make you a winner. I've got a heritage that can give you a, you can sit tall, stand tall. I can give you an identity that you could only dream of. God says, I got that for you. I can make you somebody. Number two, read it out loud. The gospel clarifies, it clarifies God's promises to Israel. He says, what if some were unfaithful? 
where their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? So is it possible that we can be bad enough that God can no longer keep his promises? Not at all. Notice his exclamation point. God, we can't manipulate God to change his plans. It goes on to say, let God be true and every human being a liar. As it is written, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. What you need to know is God has never promised any Jew, no matter how pure their physical lineage, the promise of salvation and its benefits apart from a personal repentance and faith in God. There's no cutting in line because you have a better quote, spiritual lineage. No. The ground around the cross is all now level. Nobody stands taller. Nobody's any less. It's the same door for all of us. Repentance and a faith in Jesus Christ. Yeah, your nationality can play out in this world, in this life, in certain ways. I will grant you that. But in the face of eternity and spirituality, your nationality carries no weight. It's your heart. It's your faith in Jesus. And everybody said amen to that. And so what you read here is this. God is faithful even when man does not respond properly. Man, and I believe this, Hell already knows what God's plans are, so hell is manipulating people to try to screw up God's plan. And God, listen, if, if that's the case, that that's possible, then we're saying that sin is more powerful than God. And God says, you can throw me all the inside high, inside curveballs. You can throw one at my head. I'm still gonna hit it. You can't beat me with your wickedness. God says, I will win. Then you see this. He quotes actually Psalm 51 verse four. He says this so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. It's an interesting verse. So let's back this up. What's Psalm 51? Psalm 51 is the Psalm that David wrote in repentance to God after having committed adultery with Bathsheba and the child was born, but he killed Bathsheba's husband to try to cover up that she was pregnant by him and trying to make it, make it look like, you know, it was all good. You know, it was all, it was just that all, you know, David was trying to present it. What a God moment. And God says, you will not play me like that. And he sent in a prophet to confront him. And David repented. And this is one of the verses that he wrote. So that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. What he's saying is this. God is the standard of right, not the king. The king can say, this is all good. But David found out his word might carry weight in a case that he's hearing, but when David stood before God, God was the judge, not David. Let me translate this another way so that you can understand. We have people who are in law enforcement, people who are attorneys, and you know, they, they do the, the legal circle. And many of them, they, they have a library that they'll reference. There's, there's federal law, there's state law, and there's case law, Okay. 
And so when they are in a courtroom and they're trying to make a case, they will oftentimes refer to those statutes. They'll refer to the federal statute. They'll refer to a state statute. They'll refer case law, which is decisions that were made by previous courts on the particular matter and how those things apply. And so what they're doing is this. They're saying that they're making a case that this is what the right thing to do is because I'm appealing to federal, state, or case law. Does that make sense? They understand there has to be an authority for them to present on why it should go a particular way. And that's what David has found out. Who determines what's right and wrong in the realm of spirituality? Here's the book. See, David discovered there was a book that even he had to be accountable to. It was God's case law. It was God's federal state law. And David, you may be proved right. And he said, not only that, I found out that that's an eternal law. This is not a law that's just based on the confines of where Israel is located. That's the book that goes into eternity. And then when I stand before God, that's what he uses to judge me. That's not just a book that applies to the context of Israel. That's a book that stands for eternity. So he's clarifying God's promises, that God's promises are not necessarily just contextual. They're eternal. Wow. See, that's why Jesus said this. Heaven and earth will pass away before anything in my word does. He was like, hey, you can read it now. I'm just telling you, you're gonna hear it again later. So you either get it right now or we deal with it later. Number three, read it out loud. The gospel upholds God's standard of purity. But if our unrighteousness bears out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? He says, I'm using an, our, a human argument. Certainly not. So we don't commit acts of unrighteousness so that God's righteousness can be seen more clearly. No. Then he goes on to say this in verse 7. And eight, someone might argue if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? So in other words, if God, if God can shine more brightly because I do wrong, then why is he judging me for do wrong? I'm helping him look better. And it's like, you got your all mess. How many know sin is very confusing? See, only sin can start flipping stuff like that. Why not say, as some slanderously claim that we say, let us do evil that good may result? And he just says, their condemnation is just. He just says, you're, you're just out of the ballpark on this one. You are so out of your league. You're missing it. You're missing it. Romans 3, 22, verse 24. I'll wrap it up with this. There's a famous scripture that a lot of people get familiar with early. It says that for all of sin, fallen short of the glory of God. How many know that? Well, you know, I don't know if I've ever said this, but text without context. If I, if I ever said that here, I can't remember, you know, text without, okay, I'm glad, okay. <laughs> so I added the verse before and the verse after because this speaks to what, what I've spoke about, the Jewish people. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ who all believe. 
There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Let me just stop there. Everyone's missed it. All of us. Jews, Arabs, Gentiles, Europeans, Palestinians, Syrians, Iranians, Iraqis, Saudis, Spanish, Canadians, English, Russian, Ukraine. We've all missed it. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. One hope is Jesus coming into people's lives and changing their heart. Because then we all belong to the same family. We all become children of Abraham. See, that's the problem. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a child of Hamas. I'm a child of Hezbollah. I'm a child of Palestinian. I'm a child of... You need to become a child of Abraham by putting your faith in Jesus Christ and becoming a son of God rather than a son, than a son of some organization or a son of some nationality. You need to become a son and a daughter of God. That's what you need. Yeah. Listen, Paul wrote this in a hard time. Rome was ruling with an iron fist and they didn't think it could get any worse. And boy, did it get bad. And his preaching and his message still rings true today. And everybody said, amen. Come on, let's all stand across this place. Would you do that? And I want you to take about 30 seconds. Can we just lift our hands? Will you praise him for being a God who's adopted you into the family? Man, it doesn't matter what my nationality, what the momentum of my heritage was. It doesn't even matter if I'm the one who sabotaged my, my momentum. I have a God who says, I'll adopt you. If you'll accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'll take you. Come on, let's praise him for that right now.